Well, now that we've gotten an extra round of giggles in, I hope you guys are ready to lock it in for part three of our series through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are learning how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in four steps. Now, just again, by way of review and, and following the pattern that we've done over the past two weeks, what do we mean by the term gospel? Who here would be willing to just define for us the term gospel? Again, make sure we're all on the same page with definitions. Make sure that we're tracking as we move along in this series. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. That's exactly right. The word gospel means good news. And what good news are we referring about? The good news about Jesus, right? When applied to Jesus, the word gospel refers to the good news that through faith in Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross, his bodily resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven, that sinners like you and I can be forgiven and spend eternity in God's kingdom. So at its most foundational level, the gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for sinners And it's the good news about how sinners can benefit from what Jesus has done on our behalf. And as we've emphasized over the past two weeks, we cannot properly understand this good news until we have first obtained an awareness of why we need the good news in the first place, right? So on that note, in light of what we've covered over the past two weeks, I want us to first take a moment to reevaluate or to reexamine the first step in the process of sharing the gospel that we've covered. What was step one of sharing the gospel, and what verse did we associate with that step? What was step one? God is holy. That's exactly right. God is holy. That's step number one when sharing the gospel. You, you, you start with the character of God. You start with the fact that He is holy. Now, what verse did we zero in on to see how God is portrayed as holy in the Bible. What was our key verse for that step? Isaiah 6.3. That's exactly right. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And just to make sure, once again, that we're on the same page regarding key terms, what does it mean for God to be holy? What does the word holy mean? You guys have heard God described as holy your whole life if you've grown up in church, but what does it mean? Yes. Yes, to be holy is to be set apart. So when we say God is holy, we're saying that God is set apart. And what we mean by that, there's two specific meanings. Meaning number one, we say God is set apart in the fact that He is the only true and living God. He's set apart as the Creator and sustainer of all things. So that's one aspect of what it means for God to be holy. Second aspect that it means for God to be holy, which many of us are most familiar with, it means that God is set apart in his moral perfection. So, so God is morally perfect. That, that is a key attribute or characteristic of the living God. So when we start our gospel presentation What we're doing when we start our gospel presentation with the holiness of God, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, this is the standard. This is our creator. This is the one to whom we are held accountable to as those who've been created in his image. So step one, God is holy as taught in Isaiah 6, 3. What about step two? What do we learn about step two? Yes, man is sinful. Step number two from last week, we learned that man is sinful. And does anyone remember the verses that we covered? It wasn't just one verse, it was three. But 
Does anyone remember? Yes. Romans 3, 10 through 12. So that was the primary passage we looked at with the reality taught in Scripture that man is sinful. Now, what do we mean by sin? Just again, we're reviewing here. We've got to make sure we're all on the same page about terms. What do we mean when we say that man is a sinner or that man commits sin? What was that? Imperfect. Yep, that's, that's a great way. So God is holy. He's morally perfect. Man is sinful, we are morally imperfect, right? Uh, sin means to miss the mark. That's a, it's like when we were trying to do the impossible shot, that target was the red ball, okay? To commit sin is to, as it were, try to hit the target and you miss the mark. It's to fall short of the intended goal. And the Bible teaches us that you and I, we have been given a task by God, which is to render perfect obedience to Him, Jesus, Matthew 22, 36 to 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this is the fulfillment of the whole law and the prophets, right? So, so that's the standard. We are to be holy as God is holy. We are to model perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor. And as we know from our own experience, and as we see from the word of God, we fall short of that every single day of our lives. And as we saw specifically from our passage last week in Romans 3, we found that no person is regarded as righteous before God in and of themselves. We saw that no person understands God's truth in and of themselves. We saw that no person is described as seeking after God in and of themselves. The Bible says we are absolutely at our most foundational level. We are sinful human beings. We have no power to fix ourselves. We have no ability to earn God's favor or salvation because we have missed the intended mark with our lives. So since God is an eternal being and is morally perfect, all sin is deserving of eternal punishment. We saw that to be the case last week from 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 10. So with all that in mind, in light of the holiness of God, in light of the sinfulness of man, I think we can all agree that this leaves us in a pretty desperate situation, right? If God is holy and we are not, if God is eternal and He's just, and that a sin against Him equals eternal judgment being poured out on the sinner and everlasting hell, that, that's really bad news for us, right? It's terrible news. It should break our heart when we hear of unbelievers who die in their sin. But my friends, as we sung about this evening, as we've closed each of the previous lessons with over the past two weeks, thanks be to God that he's not left us in our sins. Thanks be to God that he has not left us in our state of hopelessness. As we're going to see tonight... Jesus Christ is the Savior for sinners. He is our solution to our great problem before holy God. So step number three of sharing the gospel. Remember, step one, God is holy, Isaiah 6, 3. Step two, man is sinful, Romans 3, 10 through 12. And step three, Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. And as we'll see tonight, the key passage we're going to look at uh, is 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, focusing specifically on Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. Would there be somebody who is willing to read that passage? Somebody who hasn't read in our previous two weeks, possibly? Verses 9 and 10 of 1 John 4. 
Parker, you want to take that for us, buddy? Very good. Thank you for reading. And again, I'm so grateful for you guys participating, your willingness to read out loud in front of your friends and, and the adult leaders. I know it sometimes isn't very fun to do. So thank you so much. So let me ask you a question. In light of those verses we just read, and in light of this idea of Jesus being the Savior of sinners, if somebody asked you to provide proof that God loves them or proof that God loves you, what would you say in response? Your friends, family members, maybe somebody here, Metro East. Somebody comes up to you and says, I want proof. How can I really know that God loves me? How can I really know that God loves you? What would be your answer to that? What was that? Jesus died for us on the cross. That's exactly right. That, that's exactly what John is getting at here in verses 9 through 10. Yes, what were you going to say? I was saying he gave us life. Gave us life, yeah, that's, that's great as well. I mean, he loved us enough to create us. That's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. The fact that God doesn't strike us down the moment we commit sin, that he's patient and long-suffering with us, that's an evidence of his love. Those are all great answers. Um, yes, Reuben. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. I appreciate you wanting to get involved. So my friends, according to this passage we just saw from 1 John 4, according to verses 9 and 10 of 1 John 4, the greatest display of God's love for you and for me is through Him sending Jesus Christ into this world. When God sent His only Son into the world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, bearing God's wrath in the place of all who would ever believe, to be raised from the dead... When God sent Jesus to fulfill that mission, God declared to the whole world, I love you. That is the greatest evidence, that is the objective proof that you and I can know that God loves us. He sent His own Son into this world to accomplish our salvation. As we just sang tonight, the Lord is my salvation. The victory has been won. That is the good news of the gospel message. In light of our sin committed against a holy God, the testimony from 1 John should cause us to marvel at the glorious character of our Creator. You see, when compared to God's standard of moral perfection, there's absolutely nothing attractive or lovely about you and me. When we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, we fall infinitely short. And yet... God simply bestows His amazing, perfect love upon us. He chooses to love unworthy and undeserving sinners like you and me because of who He is. Not because of anything we did to earn it. Not because of anything we did to deserve it. No. Because God at His very core, in His nature, God is by nature perfect love. He loves you and me, my friends. Because God is God. 
It's the greatest explanation for the love of God. He's God. He's perfect in love. He's perfect in grace. He's perfect in mercy. And he sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty of your sins and of my sins at the cross. That is good news for us, friends. One other passage that testifies to this truth so powerfully is found in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Can I get a volunteer to maybe read those verses? They should be included in your handouts. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Thank you so much. And do you see what Paul's saying there? Very rarely will somebody die for a righteous person. I mean, think about it. How many of you guys truly at, at, at your core that you would be willing to die for somebody? If it, if it cost you your life? Truly. I mean, we say that all the time. I'd be willing to take a bullet for you. But really. Now think about it from this perspective. Not only is it rare for a person to give their life for one who's righteous, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Holy Son of God, this text says He died for us while we were His enemies. He, he didn't lay His life down for those who had earned God's favor through their own good works or through their own character. He laid His life down for us out of love so that we could become friends of God. So that we could become adopted children of the Most High. My friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to Him through the life and death of Jesus Christ. My friends, as you leave here tonight, I want you to take heart and comfort in the fact that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will in no wise cast out the one who comes, says Jesus. My question for all of us tonight is, do you believe that? Right now in your heart of hearts, are you trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as your only hope for being reconciled to God, from being saved from God's judgment for your sins? And in doing so, to be adopted into his everlasting kingdom as a son or daughter. If that's you tonight, praise God. I trust that, that several of you are currently walking with Jesus faithfully, that you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior by faith alone. But in a room this size, I have to imagine that there's some here tonight that are either unsure about their salvation, or maybe you're here tonight and you just know, I'm only here because my parents made me come. I have secret sin in my life. I live life one way when I'm around my church friends. I live life another way when I'm around my school friends or family members or whoever. I know I'm not a Christian. And you feel conviction right now as I speak these words. If that's you, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you know the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, do not leave here until you have surrendered to His loving care through faith alone. 
As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the day of salvation. Don't put off another day of your life of not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about what that means or what that looks like, I'm here to serve you in any way that I can. Our adult leaders are here to serve you in any way that they can. But you come, either during small group or afterwards, we'll be more than happy to answer any questions you have and to point you to Jesus Christ, uh, that he might be your comfort and joy and source of hope, both in this life and the life to come.